Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What is up, everybody? This is your boy, Taron Rodriguez, bringing you another edition of Set Point. And as always, we have ourselves a jam-packed show as we have a lot to get into in the world of volleyball, such as UCLA and Long Beach State. Instant classic between those two teams. Can they play a few more rounds before their conference play and the National Collegiate Tournament? Also, how about USC finally picking up a top 10 win as they knocked off the Anteaters. Did they take two from the Anteaters, or was it just the one? Also, had a lot of upsets happening as the Masters College and NAIA school swept CSUN. We also had Lincoln Memorial taking down Princeton. Sacred Heart took down Princeton. Queens even upset Purdue-Fort Wayne for the first ever ranked win of its team's tenure. Also, the AVP schedule for 2024 has been released and we can't forget about Pro Volleyball Federation as the Vegas Thrill had a, won a thriller against the Omaha Supernovas in their debut match. Hand me a volleyball. Set up the net. Because I'm about to serve up some volleyball action here on Set Point. This is Taron Rodriguez bringing you another edition of Set Point here on IE Sports Radio. Your direct feed for all that is sports. And welcome one, welcome all to another edition of Set Point. Thank you all for joining me on this beautiful Monday evening, Monday afternoon, Monday, wherever you are listening from. Either way, you have made your way into episode 233 of Set Point. And without any further delay, let us begin. But first and foremost, Set Point would not be where it's at without IE Sports Radio providing the platform to go live on Spreaker. Please do follow IE Sports Radio on several different social media platforms such as TikTok. Instagram, and X, formerly known as Twitter, at IE Sports Radio. Also, we have a Facebook page for those that still use that platform. All you just have to do is type in the word IE, then sports, then radio, in the search bar, like us, and then that's how you're able to follow us on Facebook. We also have a website, 
iesportsradio.com for all of your latest sports news. Our pages dedicated to each podcast, such as Set Point, our Hall of Fame, our Fans of the Month, our Merchandise Shop, and our blog. For the last nine years, iSports Radio has been bringing you amazing content ranging from interviewing legendary athletes, coaches, and other authorized media personnel to building tailor-made shows dedicated to all major sports cities around the country. Thank you to everyone for all of your support and for making iSports Radio your direct feed for all that sports. A huge shout to our sponsors, Plant Jerky Premium Brisket Beef Jerky. Plant Jerky is the official jerky of the 2022 California League champion Lake Elsinore Storm, the single-A affiliate of the San Diego Padres. This all-brisket jerky has gluten-free options, contains no MSG, no sodium nitrate, it's low in sugar, and high in protein. This is some of the best jerky you can get your hands on. All you have to do is visit planetjerky.net and place your order. In addition, some prices are slashed in regards to buying their products. And if you buy $50 or more of an order, you will get shipping for free! Let's get a huge shout to our sponsor, Planet Jerky Premium Brisket Beef Jerky. The jerky that's on a whole other planet. Our second sponsor is Seal the Deal Wax Seals by Cecilia B. You just finished your very own wedding or baby shower invitations, and you're looking for that extra special touch. Maybe you just wrote a letter to a relative or friend, and you want to add their smile to when they receive it. If that's the case, then seal the deal with Cecilia's handmade sealing wax stamps for your invitations, letters, and gifts is where you need to go. You bring the deal, and we'll bring the seal. Once again, a huge shout to Seal the Deal Wax Seals by Cecilia B. And the way you can follow Set Point on social media is on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Set underscore point IE, and on Instagram, at Set underscore point IESR, for all of the interviews and whatnot. And you can follow me, Taryn, on Twitter, at TarynRigus1, formerly known as X. And let's get started. So, the Super Bowl happened this past Sunday, but we're not talking about that. We're going to be talking some NCAA men's volleyball, and we have a lot to go over, as there was basically... A plethora of upsets. We had a plethora of great matches. I attended three matches this past week, two of which were by the same team. So let's get started. So let's get the ones that were out of the way that are also important, but weren't as notable in terms of upsets. But shout out to the chat room, Jen B, Ralph Kalise, Patty Bax, and Larry B for all tuning in. I appreciate you all. All right, so the big action started on Tuesday when MIVA play kicked off. So conference play is already underway. And Loyola, Chicago, and Purdue Fort Wayne faced one another. The Ramblers were number 13. Mastodons were number 20 after their big win over Penn State. But Loyola basically swept Purdue Fort Wayne on the road. Now, my segue for this one is this. I'm not ultimately surprised just because Loyola kind of needed this win. They were all... They were already 0-1, and basically if they had lost again, they there would have been no coming back coming from 0-2, especially when you have another big match against Ohio State on the horizon that same week. So it was a big win for Loyola. Purdue-Fort Wayne kind of came back down to earth, but that's not of any fault of their own. It's also a big credit that Loyola was able to have such a tough schedule. Then we jump to Wednesday. Speaking of said Ohio State, they too had a big week as they swept Lewis on the road. My takeaway for Ohio State is this. This is not ultimately surprising. I know Ohio State and Lewis were both undefeated in MIVA play going into this match. But the Buckeyes needed this one. And this this had trap game written all over it. They knew they cannot look ahead 
and they couldn't look past Lewis just because Lewis is actually having a solid season. There, some, my guest from Set Point Extra Points, Alex Knight, even said that Lewis was probably one of their toughest matches. Him or John Spraw. They said Lewis is one of their tough was one of their tougher matches, especially on the road. So this just goes to show how tough the MIVA can really be. So now let's get on in to some of the big time upsets. So well, big time matches. So I went to this match on Wednesday. At the beautiful campus of UC Irvine, to the, of the Brent Event Center, USC took on UC Irvine. It was quite the barn burner. USC took the first set. They just looked so crisp and so clean in that first set. They just looked like the team that I saw in Austin. They took it 25-19. UC Irvine was able to take the second set, but USC, they just kept finding ways to shoot themselves in the foot, whether it was by missed serves, errors, mistakes, that sort of thing. So UC Irvine took the second set, 25-22. Then set three, this was the big set right here. So set three, UC Irvine actually led 24-18. They basically were leading most of the set. But then USC scores six in a row to tie it up at 24-24 off of an ace from Kyle Paulson. Then they took the lead the following point. But they just could not convert on the set point. They even had an out-of-rotation call. They missed a bunch of serves, which could have given them the set. And they just could not stop Halir Heno. As UC Irvine took that third set, twenty or 30-28. to 28. Then in the fourth set, it was a back-and-forth set. It looked like UC Irvine was going to take it in four, but then USC had an answer, trying to push it to five. USC did not have one set point, but they kept themselves in the set multiple times. It took UC Irvine... Two, two set points, and they eventually took the fourth set, 27-25, from a fitting kill from Halir Heno. He led the way, 29 kills. He hit 568. He also had seven digs, and his serve was also tough to corral. Max Grigoriev also had 17 kills. That is basically his left-hand man, and it's scary that UC Irvine now has their Robin to the... Batman of Halir Heno. UC Irvine hit 391, and this is the most interesting thing. USC hit 422 in the match, and they outblocked UC Irvine 11.5 to 8.5, and they outdug UC Irvine 40 to 29, but they still wound up losing. And USC, they had fewer service errors. They only had 13 service errors, but they missed the serves when it mattered most, and UC Irvine had 20 missed serves, but they were just serving tough. They're serving as tough as nails, as Jack Duker led the way with 21 kills, Dylan Klein had 14 kills, and Riley Hayne had 11 kills. So the takeaway for USC is this. This was, I at least want this one to go five. I was thinking I'd like to see USC push this one to five. Unfortunately, they just had too many mistakes, and Jack Duker said it best in, in my interview with him in set three. If they don't have that out-of-rotation violation, or if they don't miss a bunch of serves, they maybe win that set, and maybe they're at least going five, maybe even winning in four. But USC did get a little revenge on the Anteaters. They took down the Anteaters at Galen Center on Saturday in four sets. USC looked awful in the first set. USC got drubbed in that first set. They lost 25-12 in that first set. Then USC started to turn it around late, a little bit later in that second set. 
They were down a little bit early on in the second set, but then they rattled off five in a row. They went from being down 8-5 to all, to now being up 9-8, to and they never looked back. They took that second set 25-22. It looked like a little bit of a mirror reflection of the previous matches. This time it was USC having the bad start and then bouncing back in set two. Then in set three, this is where it gets very interesting. So UCI was leading for the most part, but then it was late in the set. USC tied it up at 19-19. UC Irvine eventually goes up 21-19, and they go up 23-21. But USC, being that scrappy and resilient team, they rattle off four straight points. And unfortunately for UC Irvine, they hit the ball long. I want to say it was Halir Heno who hit that ball long. And what was looking like USC was going to lose that third set and go down 2-1, just like they did on Wednesday, they took that third set 25-23. Then in the fourth set, it, this was quite the crazy set. So USC just had all the momentum in the world. Heck, even Noah Roberts was giving them the spark. But Dylan Klein was putting down every kill he could possibly put down. But here's the crazy thing about UC Irvine. They didn't have Brett Sheward all of that fourth set. They put in Joe Carlos for that fourth set, which was kind of crazy if you ask me. Unfortunately, I couldn't catch up with David Niffin regarding that. But Joe Carlos did actually put in some work. He had a, a dump kill against Dylan Klein. I actually did cover Joe Carlos back in his high school days, but it wasn't enough. USC just steamrolled UC Irvine in set four, 25. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. By 14. Ending the match and getting their first top 10 win of the season. The Trojans were definitely due for a big breakout win. Especially against their team that was ranked ahead of them. I want to say maybe Ball State was their biggest win beforehand, but Ball State and USC were right between the rankings when they were at that first point collegiate challenge. USC was led by Dylan Klein, who had 17 kills. Riley Hain had 13 kills. An unsung hero for USC, Austin Stewart. He had seven assists. He had nine digs. There was even a rally where he basically took one in the man area, but... It was all worth it just because USC won the point. It was a 30-second rally, and Austin Stewart definitely came up big in that moment for the Trojans. UC Irvine was led by Halir Heno, who had 16 kills. Max Gregoriev had 13 kills. My takeaway for USC is this. They needed this win in the worst way because it's a momentum booster going into conference play. However, something else that is needed to be said is that 
they actually struggled against the Big West. They were 1-3 going into that Saturday match against UC Irvine. And I told Jeff Nygaard that this is one of those instances where the Big West is stacked from top to bottom. And I told him back in Austin, and I'm not saying he didn't listen, but he kind of got a taste of what the Big West really had to offer. And winning this game over UC Irvine, or winning the match over UC Irvine, was so huge for his team. And for UC Irvine, my takeaway for them is this. This isn't really a terrible loss, but they could have prevented this. If they take that third set, maybe, hence the word maybe, they could be up 2-1 in a good position. At the very least, they could be going 5, but all in all for UC Irvine, it was just a not-so-good loss for them. They still have a few more weeks to rewrite everything, rewrite their wrongs. They have four more MPSF teams on the horizon, and they're 3-3 three and three against the MPSF. And it doesn't get easier for UC Irvine because they've got Stanford this week at Stanford. But Larry B says in the chat room, but those Ant Ears are a very good team. And he was not pleased with how USC lost that first match. But I'm, but for the sake of USC, I'm glad they were able to bounce back. And this is my first time covering USC volleyball as a member of the media. And it was pretty good. I liked it. So moving on to another Wednesday match, we had the top ten, ma- top five match. Number three, Hawaii hosting number five, Stanford. Now, this was a little bit anticlimactic, but unfortunately for Stanford, they did not have Will Rotman. It was a lower body in... I think it was lower leg in injury, and he did not make the trip out to Hawaii. That was a bit of a big blow for Stanford. But Stanford was able to overcome it, took the first at 25-21, but then Hawaii, they woke up the bear. You, Stanford, unfortunately, woke up the bear. Hawaii took that second set, 25-15, and then the third set, it was back and forth. Stanford, I want to say, led 18-15, but then was outscored 10 to 4 in that third set and St- Hawaii takes that third set 25-22 and then the fourth set it was tight early on but then Hawaii basically just hit the gas and the fourth set is one was was obviously one-sided but it was closer than the final box score of that fourth set says it just shows that Hawaii just turned on the gas late in the set and they took that fourth set 25-12 Hawaii was led by Alakai Todd, who had 17 kills. Spiros Hakas had 15 kills. Chaz Galloway and Guillermo Voss both had 7 kills. Hawaii hit 346 while holding Stanford to 153. My takeaway for Hawaii is this. Their block game was also on point. They outblocked Stanford 11.5 to 4, and they only missed 10 serves. When you're missing fewer serves... Then the opposing team, which Stanford missed 15, you're doing something right. And they even had one more ace than Stanford. Stanford did not have one player in double digits in kills, but their offensive attack was balanced. Kevin Lamp and Moses Wagner both having nine kills. Ethan Hill, seven kills. Nathan Litsky and Nathaniel Gates both having six kills. But the takeaway for Stanford is this. They need Will Rotman back in the worst way. They are they were one and two following that match against Hawaii, and it didn't get any better because the second match against Hawaii, Stanford got swept. But here's the straw that broke the camel's back. Hawaii took that first set 27-25. It was an intense first set. Stanford did everything. They threw the farm at Hawaii. See see what I did there? They threw the farm at Hawaii 
and try to take that first set. But Hawaii was not having it. They took that first set. And that was the momentum boost that they needed because Hawaii basically rolled them in the second set. 25-7, not even close. Hawaii barely broke a sweat in that second set. And then the third set, Hawaii, it was pretty much all Hawaii. They took it 25-20. Stanford tried to put up a little bit of a fight. But again, this is where you really miss Will Rotman. Alex Rotman, Will's brother, had 10 kills to lead the Cardinal, but they only hit 146. Hawaii hit a blistering 594 as Spiros Hakas had 23 kills in one match. In a three-set match, mind you. Spiros Hakas was him. He had over half the kills that Hawaii had as a team. Alakai Todd also had nine kills. Hawaii, my takeaway for them is this. When you play at Simplify Arena, a.k.a. Stan Sheriff Center, you got to bring your A-game. There was 9,226 in attendance. And the previous game was actually, was close to 9,000. As basically Hawaii and Hawaii along with Nebraska do it differently when it comes to volleyball. So all in all, it was a big win for the Rainbow Warriors. I know what everyone's going to say. Stanford isn't as good as Hawaii, but I will just say this. You got to get Will Rotman back healthy as possible, especially since you have UC Irvine coming to your house. And believe it or not, Hawaii and Stanford, the first match, actually only had 6,125. But this match basically was one-third more of the previous match. So all in all for Hawaii, it was a great weekend for them. And Stanford... They still ha- they need to get Will Rotman back. There's no there's no better way of saying it. Jumping to Thursday, we have Pepperdine taking on UC Santa Barbara. Number twelve Pepperdine taking on number seventeen UC Santa Barbara. This was an interesting match as the Gauchos took that first set twenty five thirteen. Pepperdine did bounce back big time because you cannot be on the road and get drubbed like that. It's not good for your momentum. But the Waves took that second set 25-22, and then they took the third set 25-23, just barely, as they led throughout, they did never trailed in the second set, and they led throughout most of that third set. But thankfully for them, they were able to hold off the Gauchos. And then for Santa Barbara, they took the fourth set 25-20, as it was a little back and forth, but the Gauchos were able to hit the gas when it need, when they needed to. Well, then Pepperdine came up big in that fifth set. Didn't really trail all that much, and they took that fifth set quite nicely, 15-9. Huge win on the road for Pepperdine, as they had four different players with 10 or more kills, as Cole Rasick led the way with 12 kills. His teammates have been saying that Pepperdine, or his teammates on Pepperdine have been saying that Cole Rasick is a dog. Akin 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 Wumi and Cole Kachansky both had 11 kills, and Ethan Watson had 10 kills. Pepperdine only hit 232 compared to Santa Barbara's 281, but the big thing for Santa Barbara was they did not have Jess Bianchi. Without Jess Bianchi, Santa Barbara just does not look like that same team. Reese Barnett led the way with 18 kills, Owen Berg had 13 kills, and Ben Court had 12 kills. But you really need Jess Bianchi. They didn't have him in the loss against Damon. If you don't have Jess Bianchi, you better hope you ha- your other players step up. And the thing is for Santa Barbara, they actually had him in the second match. But unfortunately, Pepperdine just swept him. 
The two met against one another in Malibu on Saturday. Pepperdine won the first set 25-16, and they won the second set 25-21. And then the third set, it was back and forth. However, the Waves were able to take that third set 25-23. The Waves were led by Cole Kachansky, who had 19 kills. Yeah, they went from balanced attack to give the ball to Cole, which is which is kind of beneficial. They also had Ethan Watson chipping in nine kills. Akinakin Wumi had eight kills, and Cole Rasick had seven kills. Heberine hit 481, which was much better than their previous hitting percentage against UC Santa Barbara, while the Gauchos only hit 133. It was a block party for Pepperdine. Santa Barbara only had two blocks, two on the day. Pepperdine had 13 and a half. And even though Pepperdine missed a bunch of serves and only had two service aces compared to the Gauchos' four, they made up for that in terms of its defense regarding blocks. And event, and that it kind of also speaks to how Pepperdine hit 481. Santa Barbara's defense just was not there. As Jess Bianchi did come back for the Gauchos, he only had five kills. Patrick Kane, no, not the hockey player. Patrick Kane led the way with six kills for Santa Barbara. Only 29 kills as a team altogether for the Gauchos, as the Gauchos kind of showed their inexperience in that match. And this is kind of where you wish you had that Ryan Wilcox type of player. But unfortunately, they did not, and it was a loss for the Gauchos. And they still they have to figure things out sooner rather than later, just because Big West Conference play is getting closer and closer. And I'm starting to think that the loss to UC or the win to against UCLA was a little more than just Bianchi going off because just Bianchi went off against UCLA in that win. And UCLA only lost by two in that fifth set. If they got lost by a little bit more, then I'd say UCLA just doesn't look like the same team. But UCLA does not look that as bad in that loss just because the Gauchos had just Bianchi just going off in that match. Circling the wagons back to Friday in some MIVA play, we had Loyola Chicago, number 13 Loyola Chicago, downing number 6 Ohio State in 5. The Buckeyes took that first set quite convincingly, 25-18, but then the Ramblers took that second set, 25-20, as they kind of returned the favor. Then in the third set, Ohio State took a big third set, 29-27, and I was thinking... Is this going to be like the USC-UC Irvine match at the Brent Event Center? No. Loyola Chicago took that fourth set 25-14. And then the fifth set, Loyola took it 15-5. They never trailed after that third set. Once set four started, Loyola just went boom, 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 boom. And they just took the match against Ohio State. And it's their biggest win of the season. Probably bigger than the... Hawaii win, and that speaks to high volumes because that was a road match. This was at Gentile Arena in Chicago as Parker Van... Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at Chabacasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumpacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Buren led the way for Loyola with 17 kills. Daniel Fabakovic had 11 kills. Jake Reed had 9 kills. My takeaway for Loyola is this. This was a much-needed win. I know I said that 0-3 would would have kind of been not coming back from, but beating Ohio State and handing them their first MIVA loss was huge because now you pull into a tie for first with Ohio State, and you basically have a leg up on them. And this could be the difference between hosting the Final Four in the MIVA tournament and being on the road in Columbus or maybe Muncie. So Ohio State, in my opinion, they missed a huge opportunity to possibly, possibly get a leg up on the Ramblers as Jacob Pastor led the way with 17 kills. Shane Wetzel added 13 kills. Cole Young had 9 kills. Justin Howard, 8 kills. Thomas Poole had 11 digs. The problem with Ohio State is the defense, it wasn't terrible, but they kept spoon-feeding Loyola points. They missed 23 serves, and they allowed the Ramblers to hit 379. That's not a top 10 team, in my opinion. So Ohio State still has some questions they need to answer. And this just goes to show the toughness of the MIVA. And I think it's anyone's conference, just because we're going to be talking about a little bit of an MIVA matchup later on. But we have to go into the match and series of the week. Number one, Long Beach State, and number four, UCLA. I was in attendance for the match at Long Beach. It was fun. Third most selling, the third most in attendance in Long Beach State men's volleyball history with 4,304. And Long Beach State took down UCLA in four. UCLA won the first set 25-22, but Long Beach State had their chances. The only problem was they missed eight serves in that first set. You can't do that against UCLA. I know UCLA misses a bunch of serves as a team, but you just can't give them eight free points. You just can't. And then the second set, this one was also a wild one. Long Beach State led throughout most of the way. They were up 16-10, but then UCLA ties it up at 21-21, but Long Beach State gets the next point. And unfortunately for John Spraw, he ran out of substitutions. You'll get a handful of substitutions, and unfortunately John Spraw just did not have one. He was stuck without a setter in that second set as Long Beach State took the second set, 25-21. Then the third set happened. Long Beach State was down 24-22. Then they eventually wound up rattling off five out of the last six points as they took the third set, 27-25. That was huge right there for the beach. And eventually, Long Beach State took the fourth set, never trailed. UCLA did battle back to tie it at 11-11, but UCLA just had a little less more in the tank. 
as Long Beach State hit the gas. They won the fourth set, 25-19. And Long Beach State was led by Sotir Shapanis, who had 18 kills. Skylar Varga, 15 kills. And Clark Godbold, 12 kills. Mason Briggs was an unsung hero. 11 digs. And Long Beach State, as a team, hit 286. UCLA only hit 214 as Ido David led the way with 15 kills. Merrick McHenry had 11 kills. UCLA started Ethan Champlin at the outside hitter position. They went with Luca Kerchi and Hide Nakamura with, at the libero position. Ethan only had Ethan had six kills along with seven kills from Alex Knight and Guy Guinness had six kills. So the takeaway for this match is this: this was electric. This is what NCAA men's volleyball was all about. And honestly, both these teams battled to the bitter end. And unfortunately for UCLA, this, the end to that second set was just so sucky for them. And then losing that third set was what really broke their was what broke the camel's back. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. And again, this is another case where if they win that third set, or if a team wins that third set, they're up 2-1, and they're maybe feeling good about going into set four. The only case is that Loyola had the answer against Ohio State, but for Long Beach State, they just had the answer after they won that third set, and that was crucial. But the rematch was a big thing right there, and this was one of those matches where I wish I'd gone to. I wish I wasn't torn between having to go to UCLA, Long Beach State, and UC Irvine, USC, as UCLA in round two, they took down Long Beach State in four. The first set, UCLA... They led 24-22. Long Beach State ties it up at 24-piece, but they never had match point one time as UCLA took that first set 29-27. Second set, Long Beach State, same thing. They were down late in the set, tied up at 24-piece, but unlike the previous set, they actually had a set point opportunity at 28-27, and they took advantage of it. They took that second set 29-27, Felt a little good going into set number three, but then that's when UCLA hit the gas. Long Beach State actually led a little early in that third set. I want to say they led like 11-6, but then UCLA just turned on the gas, and they were cooking as they took that third set, 25-19. And then UCLA just got off to an early start, and they never looked back as they took that fourth set, 25-20, handing Long Beach State their first loss of the season. It was a huge win for the Bruins. And honestly, the big hero wasn't actually their pin hitters. It was actually their middle blocker, as Grant Sloan led the way with 16 kills. Yes, Grant Sloan was the one that answered the bell for UCLA. But Alex Knight also had 14 kills. And I actually got a little flack for mentioning that to Alan Knipe and the Long Beach State SID, Lindy Zamora, at Alan Knipe's pre-week press conference. And they kind of gave me a little hard time for wearing a little UCLA blue. But Alex Knight also had 14 kills. Merrick McHenry and Cooper Robinson both had 10 kills. Guy Guinness, 8 kills. This just goes to show the depth of UCLA as Ethan Champlin did have to play libero, but he had a monster night defensively. He had 17 digs. That right there is an All-American. And I'm just going to say this like I truly mean it. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Number one fell down yet again. And it seems to be a running theme where the number one team in the nation just can't seem to have the week that they want. And not, no number one team in the nation is safe. 
Long Beach State was led by Clark Godbold, who had 15 kills. Sotiris Chapanis had 13 kills. And Skylar Varga had 9 kills. UCLA hit 301 compared to Long Beach State's 238. Long, Long Beach State had 16 digs from Mason Briggs. This was a huge weekend for Mason Briggs. And this just goes to show that he was one of the top libero. This is He's one of the top, if not the best libero in NCAA men's volleyball this year. But Ethan Champlin stepped up at Libero. UCLA as a team stepped up in terms of digs, having 47 digs compared to Long Beach State's 36. The UCLA unfortunately got outblocked a little bit, 11 and a half to to nine. And UCLA did miss 18 serves, but Long Beach State only had one service ace. You can't have one service ace against UCLA. That just goes to show that UCLA did a great job of basically passing the ball. And when you're serving and passing tough, you're going to be having a leg up on the opposing team. But for Long Beach State UCLA, we need to have these two teams playing each other in five times a a season. Because this is basically primetime volleyball right here. This is this is the instance where this ma- this type of match right here needs to be pushed to the national stage. It needs to be put on ESPN Plus, maybe even ESPN U or ESPN Three. So we gotta we gotta fix that. We have to fix that, and we have to basically get more of these nationally televised men's volleyball matches. But now we had <laughs> Larry B said it best: number ones just can't hang. And we'll see if Long Beach State st- stood pat at number one. But we had a bunch of upsets. This was probably the one of the bigger upsets. Lincoln Memorial, the LMU Rail Splitters. I talked about this being a sneaky good matchup. They upset number ten Princeton on the road in five set or four sets as Yo- Johan 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 Negron and Ethan Morgan both had eleven kills. Ethan hit 7.33. Even though LMU only hit 187, they held Princeton to only 167. And Lincoln Memorial's blocking was on point. They had 12 blocks to Princeton's 9, and they outdug Princeton by 10. And they only missed 10 serves. When you're doing that, basically you're doing something good. And even though Princeton did have one more service ace than... LMU, it just wasn't enough. They just didn't look like the team that beat Santa Barbara and Pepperdine. Princeton was led by Ben Harrington, who had 19 kills, while Nairo Omena and Owen Mellon both had 9 kills. Owen Mellon actually stepped up very nicely. I was very impressed with how he stepped up and was another option for Princeton, just because you can't be one-dimensional with feeding the ball to your best player. And Nairo Omena can only do so much for loyal for Loyola and the big thing was for for not for Loyola for Princeton but the big thing was for Princeton they didn't have their step their starting setter Henry Wedbush they actually had to start Nolan Kelly at the setter position as he had 36 assists and nine digs so that was something that needed to be stated Henry Wedbush obviously is a is the starting setter for Princeton and the Tigers definitely missed him and it wasn't just in this match the Tigers got upset again. They lost to Sacred Heart on the or at home on the day after they lost to Lincoln Memorial in five. Princeton got backdoor swept. Won the first two sets, 25 or twenty-five twenty-two and twenty-seven twenty-five. Sacred Heart takes the third set, twenty-five twenty-one, 
And Princeton actually had two match points in set four, but they just could not take advantage of it. They actually had match points at 27, 26, and 29, 28. But unfortunately, Princeton just could not pull off that fourth set win. Sacred Heart took it 33-31, and then Sacred Heart just rode the momentum from that fourth set and wound up winning set five, 15-10. This was their fir- this was Sacred Heart's first ranked win since 2018 when it when it swept number 18 or number 12 Penn State as Patrick Mucherino had 17 kills, Carlos Santa Cruz and Mark Berry both had 16 kills. Sacred Heart at 237 while holding Princeton to 230 and they had 11 service aces, one more missed serve than Princeton. Princeton had 7 aces. Sacred Heart also Dug the ball well. They outdug Princeton by seven. Then they barely outblocked Princeton. So Ben Harrington led the way with 23 kills for Princeton. Owen Mellon had 11 kills. Ryan Venna had nine kills. And that was something big right there. Princeton needed to feed the middles more. Because if they don't feed the middles, they weren't going to get a whole lot of production in terms of their offense. And just like football, good things happen when you run the middle. And my overall takeaway for Princeton is this. Maybe it had something to do with Nolan Kelly filling in for Henry Wedbush. But this was probably a disappointing week. You go from beating Santa Barbara and Pepperdine on your home court, both of which were ranked higher than you, to losing to Lincoln Memorial, who eventually lost to Harvard the day after, and you lost to Sacred Heart, who hadn't beaten a ranked team in almost five years. So Princeton needs to figure it out ASAP. And they have a huge matchup this week to start EIVA play against Penn State. That was, that's a big-time matchup. But we got to circle the wagons back to more upsets. In the MIVA, we had Queens. Queens of North Carolina. They upset number 20, Purdue-Fort Wayne. Queens took the first set 25-23. The opposite happened as Purdue-Fort Wayne took that second set. And then they dominated the, set, the third set for the most part, winning at 25-16. And then Queens eked out that fourth set, 25-23. And then fifth set happened. It was crazy. Queens was down 11-5 at one point in that fifth set. But they routed off six straight points to tie it up at 11-11. Purdue-Fort Wayne won the next point. They went up 12-11. But Queens ended the match winning the last four points. And they beat... Purdue-Fort Wayne in MIVA play to salvage a split in their conference series. And this win is special for Queens because it's their first ever ranked win. It's a huge win for Queens. And they've been long yearning. They've been close several times against certain ranked opponents. But this time, they were able to pull off the ranked upset. They defended their home court as Queens was led by Jack Brinkman, who had 11 kills. Sterling Sims, Ruben Emmerich, and Chance Champagne all had nine kills. Shafar Grant had seven kills as Queens hit 240, even though Purdue-Fort Wayne hit 264. But the block party was there as they had 10 blocks. Purdue-Fort Wayne had 10 blocks. Purdue-Fort Wayne missed 20 serves. Queens, these two teams were actually nearly identical in stats. It's just that... Queens kind of outdid them a little bit more in some of the other categories outside of digs and hitting percentage. 
Purdue Fort Wayne was led, was led by Mark Frazier, who had 22 kills, while John Diedrich had 17 kills, Bryce Walker 14 kills. Frazier also had 11 digs. Diedrich had 10 digs. Andrew Mayer had 9 digs. My takeaway for Queens is this. I think they're actually they're starting to thrive more in the MIVA. Everyone chose them to finish last in the preseason poll. They've. It looks like they might not be finishing last. Only the top eight teams advance to the MIVA tournament. And Queens, in its first year in the MIVA tournament, is looking really good to making the MIVA tournament. It's very impressive, if you ask me. And this being their first ever ranked win shows that they have grown quite a bit. They battled Quincy, split that matchup right there. And beating Purdue-Fort Wayne is no laughing matter, especially since that team was coming off of a big win last the previous week against Penn State. But for the Mastodons, my takeaway for them is this. This was not the most ideal week for them. They had to go four to beat Queens the previous night. They lost to Loyola Chicago on Tuesday. Obviously, that's a lot of matches being played, and you obviously have to go to North Carolina. But... If you want to thrive in the MIVA, you can't afford to lose to certain teams. It, again, now we got to put Queens into the category of this team is also pretty darn good at volleyball. And there's also there was also another another big upset in in the MIVA as this one caught me by surprise as this was actually number 11 Ball State falling to McKendry in straight sets. This was just very surprising, and I was just overall just flabbergasted by this type of this loss for Ball State. But it also goes to show that there no team is safe in the MIVA, and the MIVA is probably going to be a war, and it's probably the most unpredictable conference to predict a a conference champion. And that's the thing about that's the beauty of this conference because any team can beat anyone at any time. As Ball State was led by Patrick Rogers, who had 12 kills. The big thing was McKendry held Tanashi and Davazocheva in check as he only had four kills. He hit zero for the match. So the big overall takeaway is this: when Tanashi and Davazocheva is hitting nothing, then in terms of hit, hitting percentage, then that's that's scary for them. That's when you know you are not going to be... That's when you know you're screwed. When your top player is having one of the worst nights ever. And this was... This upset came after... Their head coach... Miranda Rodriguez was named an assistant coach for their women's volleyball team. Which I thought was... Which I think is huge. And also... Nikki Sandlin was promoted as she was named the assistant athletic director, the director of volleyball, and she's also the head men's volleyball coach, and she's also the designator of diversity, equity, and inclusion at McKendry. So a huge week for the Bearcats as McKendry was led by Kevin Shuley, who had 17 kills, Sam Hoskin had 15 kills, and this is the scary thing about McKendry. They could be so... They can be so iffy at times in the MIVA, but then when they face a team that's much better than them, they pull off the upset. They did it against Loyola in the MIVA tournament. They did it that week against Ball State. And this just goes to show MIVA play is so unpredictable. Any team can be 
at, at risk of losing to any team. And heck, Ball State barely outlasted Lindenwood this past weekend on Saturday. They needed five to take down those Lions. And then the last upset we have to go over, this one probably is the upset that didn't get looked at as the Masters College of Santa Clara. This is an NAIA team. The Masters College upset CSUN on the road in straight sets. The Masters, the, the Broncos won the first set 25-20, didn't trail in that set. Second set, CSUN, this is the set where CSUN needed to win this set. Because if they lost the set, they were in trouble. Being down 0-2 against a Masters College team that actually was undefeated. Keep in mind, NAI school, but they've taken down a bunch of quality opponents as... You have to look at the Masters College schedule to see who they've actually taken down. And they've taken down some actually some really good teams. And they're actually ranked in the NAIA's top five, being number five. But looking at some of their wins, they have some pretty darn good wins, if you ask me. They've beaten the likes of Grandview, which is a perennial men's volleyball powerhouse in the NAIA. They also beat UC Irvine, and in, 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 well, that was all the way back in October, but still. And I said the Broncos, I, I meant to say the Mustangs. So, but they've beaten St. Xavier, which was number eight in the nation. Grandview, like I said, they beat them, which was number six in the nation. They swept Lourdes. They swept Park of Missouri, and they were number three in the NAI polls. And the week after, the, the week before. The Masters College took down number two Benedictine in four sets. On the road, mind you. So this just goes to show that NAI schools can't hang with NCAA Division I-2 men's volleyball teams. And going back to the Masters College in the match against CSUN, they won the third set 25-18. Never trailed in that one, and there were no ties. As the Masters were led by Braden Van Grong. Groningen, who had 10 kills. He had zero hitting errors on 19 swings. He hit 526. Diego Perez also had nine kills. The Masters College hit 362, even though CSUN hit 359. Blocking was non-existent, but the huge thing for CSUN, they missed 26 serves. 26 serves in a three-set match. Now you start to wonder how CSUN basically lost this one. Because this is against a Masters College team who actually played its first NCAA men's volleyball opponent in, in Division 1-2, or National Collegiate, as you kids like to say. But for CSUN, this is not a good loss. I mean, yes, the Masters College was undefeated, but this was their first match against a National Collegiate men's volleyball team. And the day after... The Masters College actually lost in four at Concordia, Irvine. Concordia was actually a former NAI school. So, my goodness gracious, what a bad week weekend to be a CSUN fan in men's volleyball, as well as a Princeton fan. The Matadors were led by Kyle Hobus, who had 13 kills. Griffin Walters had 11 kills. Like I said, CSUN hit 359, but defense wasn't really existent for not for neither team. The Masters only had two blocks on the day. They had one service ace. But CSUN only had two aces, and they only had five blocks overall, and they were outdug by three. And they had more kills than the Masters College. It just goes to show that you have to dominate in every aspect of the game, whether it's serving, 
passing, defense, offense. You have to put all of those motions together. Otherwise, you're going to be at the mercy. And the Masters College only missed 10 serves. CSUN almost tripled that amount. That's when you know you couldn't defeat a team that was red hot in the NAIA world. All right, but that is that for all of the NCAA men's volleyball notable matches from last week. We also, like I said, there were some also notable, other notable ones as we had Lindenwood almost beating Ball State, but like I said, the Cardinals pulled off the win, and it was it was a big one, and Harvard was able to knock off Lincoln Memorial, as I said previously. All right, but that is going to do it for NCAA Men's Volleyball Week 6 recap right there. Crazy week. Now we got to go over the AVCA slash NVA or not AVCA slash NVA men's volleyball national collegiate poll as it was kind of an interesting poll. So instead of going from bottom to top, we got, we're going from top to bottom. So one through five, Long Beach State stood pat. They, even though they lost to UCLA, they wound up staying at number one. They garnered 17 first place votes. Grant Canyon garnered five first place votes. They finished two. Hawaii garnered a first place vote. They finished their three, UCLA is four, and Stanford is five. Then we go six through ten. BYU, they they beat LIU twice. They swept LIU twice. And then UC Irvine, they stood pat seven, even though they wound up losing to USC. Ohio State, State went down to eight. Penn State stayed at nine. As they actually won a four-set match against Fairleigh Dickinson, first set was went to Penn State, but then Fairleigh Dickinson, the Knights were able to take that second set in crazy fashion, 34-32, but the Nittany Lions basically were poked, and you don't want to poke the Nittany Lion as they took the next two sets, and they took the match. Loyola jumped to number 10, which was the biggest jump of the week, along with another team. Pepperdine went up to 11. USC also had a big jump, three spots into number 12. Lewis jumped up to 13. Ball State went down to 14. Princeton went down. They had the biggest drop of the week, going from 10 all the way through to 15. CSUN stayed at 16. Now, I'm not sure if this was reported, but I'm surprised CSUN stays at 16 despite getting swept by the Masters College. Maybe the Masters College, we're all underestimating the Masters College and Maybe they're, it's, there's a reason why they're one of the top teams in the NAIA, but I'm surprised CSUN did not go down. I'm surprised they just stayed put. And then George Mason went up to 17. UC Santa Barbara went down to 18. Lincoln Memorial re-entered the top 20 as they went up to 19. And UC San Diego is holding on to that number 20 spot. Purdue-Fort Wayne fell out of the, of the poll, but they're still receiving votes. And, yeah, it, it just felt weird seeing CSUN still being, still being stayed put. I'm not sure if their score was reported against the Masters College. But, again, Masters College is top five. They've taken down a bunch of quality opponents in the NAIA. So, there you have it right there. And it also just goes to show that these NAIA schools come to play. As Vanguard as in the Masters College, they're going to be in the MPSF next year in men's volleyball. Both those schools are getting promoted from NAIA to NCAA Division II, but for Vanguard and 
the Masters College in men's volleyball, since men's volleyball is Division One and Division Two or National Collegiate, they basically get smacked in the middle of the MPSF. And that's going to be pretty fun right there, seeing Vanguard take on... Vanguard and the Masters take on the likes of UCLA, USC, Pepperdine, Stanford, Grand Canyon, BYU. It's going to be fun times. All right, but that's that for the ABCA slash NBA men's volleyball coaches poll. Larry B says number ones just can't hang. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But I will also just say Long Beach State should ha- – they have two matches this week. They're hosting the SIAC teams in Edward Waters and Central State. The SIAC is now a part of that Power 5 conference where if you win your con- that conference tournament, you get into the NCAA tournament. I said it was the Conference of Carolinas. I unfortunately was mistaken. So conf- so the SIAC, the Big West, the MPSF, the MIVA, and the EIVA are all of your automatic qualifiers into the tournament. And then there are going to be eight teams in the NCAA tournament as there will be three at-larges, which I think is good. I, I feel UC Irvine got left out of that tournament, but it was also due to the fact that they had only two wins against teams in consideration of the NCAA tournament, and that's what hurt them. Now to the off-the-block media poll from last week. So this was from last week, and Princeton, BYU, UC Irvine, Penn State, and Ohio State were 10-6. through 5-1 through one was UCLA and Stanford tied at, num- at number 4, Hawaii at number 3, GCU at number 2, and Long Beach State at number 1. So if you all remember, I've pretty much had most of these actually nailed down for the most part. I actually put Stanford ahead of UCLA. I I had Ohio State at six. I had Penn State and UC Irvine flip-flopped as I put UC Irvine at number seven and Penn State at eight. BYU and Princeton were firmly grasped at nine and ten. And then Long Beach State, Long Beach State was number one. But here's the discrepancy. I think Hawaii deserves to be number two in the off-the-block media poll. I think Hawaii has played such a tougher schedule than Grand Canyon. Because if I recall correctly, GCU's best win of the season is against, oh, I don't know, UCSB. And that's nothing ultimately to ride home about. And this is no knock on the Lopes. I think GCU is a great team. And they're definitely going to be a threat in the MPSF. But they haven't really been tested. You look at their their nine wins. They're 9-0, and and they're the they're probably the last undefeated team in NC men's college, National Collegiate Men's Volleyball. GCU's beaten CSUN, UC San Diego, UC Santa Barbara. They beat Lindenwood twice. They beat UC San Diego again. They had to go four with Merrimack, and they beat Harvard and Damon. But this week, GCU has a huge test at BYU, that is going to be a big one because BYU is one of the tougher places to win at in, in, in volleyball. So there you go. So this week for the off-the-block media poll, I voted Loyola Chicago at 10 as Adam Karnick pops in the chat room. He said, good evening, Taryn. UC Irvine at 9, BYU at 8, Ohio State at 7, Penn State at 6, Stanford at 5, UCLA at 4. I now find, have clarity on who I should put ahead of who. UCLA deserves to be ranked ahead of Stanford for the time being. Grand Canyon at three, Hawaii at two, and Long Beach State at number one. I kept Long Beach State at number one just because they beat UCLA. I almost wanted to put Hawaii at number one, 
I feel that Hawaii's played a much tougher and rewarding schedule than Long Beach State has. Other than the UCLA match, their other biggest test came against Pepperdine, where Long Beach State just straight up stomped on them. But like I said, Long Beach State has struggled against a few other teams that were unranked, like NJIT and then St. Francis. They also had to go forward with George Mason. So, yes, yes, Adam, good to hear the Ramblers belong in the top 10. Not just in the off-the-block media poll, but in the AVCA slash NVA men's volleyball coaches poll. So, there you have it right there. The polls always get released Tuesday, every Tuesday at probably about like noon, maybe a little earlier. It all depends on when Vinny Lopes decides to put it out. And I, I, along with several different media members of the volleyball NCAA men's volleyball community, vote for this stuff. So we'll see if my top 10 matches up with the off the block top 10. So that's going to do it for everything men's volleyball. Sorry if I went a little over as we're almost an hour into this, but there was a lot of NCAA men's volleyball that happened. So we're going to take ourselves a quick little break when we come back. We have the AVP Beach Volleyball schedule to go over. And we also have Pro Volleyball Federation happening as there was actually a match that happened. I think there were two matches that happened today while I'm recording, which, yeah, thanks, Pro Volleyball Federation. Thanks for having two matches on while I'm basically doing this. Yes, there were two matches that happened. Atlanta and Orlando and Grand Rapids and Omaha. So we'll have to briefly recap those along with the matches from last week. And then we have, like I said, the AVP schedule to go over. And then we have NCAA Men's Volleyball Week 7 to preview. So keep it locked here. You are listening to Set Point here on iSports Radio, your direct feed for all that sports. We'll be right back after this. Hello, sports fans. It's me, your boy, Larry B. And I want to walk you through the world of sports. No, no, no. Not just the mainstream major TV deal type sports, although those are important too. But let me be your guide to your journey of all sports, from college to the pros, the minors, and everything in between. Each week, we are talking sports galore with true diehards just like you from a hardcore fan's perspective that's sure to quench your thirst around leagues you may know all too well and some you may even discover here. That's right, sports fans. If you love sports of all kinds, enjoy hearing amazing sports stories and respect all sports because you know how difficult any of them can be to play or compete in, then this is your show. Join me, your boy Larry B, on the defining moment each week here on IE Sports Radio, your direct feed for all that is sports, and let the sports come to you. Hello, ladies and sinners. Hello, sports fans around the world. Hello, IE Sports family. This is Cale Henderson, the host of IE Vegas, the Sin City Sports Show, presented by IE Sports Radio. 
If you folks are interested in sports in the Vegas area, if you're wanting to have a blast for one hour every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, this is a show built for the Vegas sports fans where we feature the Las Vegas Raiders, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, the Las Vegas Aces, and the University of Las Vegas, Nevada Rebels. Hopefully, fingers crossed, MLB team coming soon. Either way, if you folks are looking to have a blast for one hour each and every week, tune in Tuesday, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you folks are interested in Vegas sports news, go to our Twitter, at SinCities underscore I-E-S-R, and you can speak with me, the host, Kale Henderson, at Kale underscore Henderson on Twitter. At any time, be happy to reply always want to reach out to our fans again the sin city sports show presented by ie sports radio your direct feed for all that is sports sports fans do you like teams that are tough cities that are tougher and fan bases that are passionate about their teams how about teams that are historic and stadiums that are iconic? Then you belong in Chicago, and you need to check out Chi-Town Weekly. Join me, Adam Kernan, every week as we keep up with all things Chicago sports. Bears, Bulls, Blackhawks, Cubs, White Sox. We'll cover them all, plus more. The Windy City is always buzzing. And we'll keep you up on all the big games and major stories. So tune in to Chi Town Weekly every week right here on IE Sports Radio, your direct feed for all that is sports. Back with segment number two of Set Point here on I, on eSports Radio, your direct feed for all that sports. Definitely check out all of our amazing shows. As Adam Karnick show, he actually did a great job with his show regarding the Chicago Bears and their players getting into the football, the NFL Hall of Fame. And the defining moment is actually back, and I'm hoping it stays back just because, well, for starters, it is the flagship show of iSports Radio. But definitely check out all of our amazing shows as let's get back into the action. So let's go over a little AVP. So yes, the AVP, the 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 Beach Volleyball League that didn't have an actual championship this past season. I'm looking at you, AVP. Now has released their schedule. And they actually have a location on where their championship is going to be. So the AVP, the 2024 AVP season begins on May 17th through the 19th at the Huntington Beach Open. And, oh man, you can't you can't start, start better than the Huntington Beach Open. Maybe you can in, like, maybe the Hermosa Beach Open, but Huntington Beach draws a lot of attention. I was at the Huntington Beach Open last year. 
I wish I wasn't so busy in terms of like all my other commitments, and I'm hoping I won't get busy, knock on wood. But the Huntington Beach Open is basically the start of the AVP season. So there are actually two series. There's the AVP Heritage Series, and there's the, the AVP League. The AVP League, I imagine, is basically the meat and potatoes and what gives you all of the points to qualify for the AVP League Championship. So, the Heritage Series is basically like the tip of the iceberg. And May 17th through the 19th is the Huntington Beach Open. That's when the AVP season begins. And I can't wait to meet all the players and whatnot. I need to get a credential ASAP. Then the next AVP tournament is on July 6th through 7th. Wow, they actually take a big break in the months of of, uh, June. But maybe that's probably because of Olympics. That has to be. But July 6th and 7th is the Denver Open, which is the second AVP tournament. Then July 11th and 12th is the Walpaca Open in Wisconsin. Then August 3rd and 4th is the Virginia Beach Open in the DMV area. Then we get the granddaddy of them all. August 16th through the 18th is the Manhattan Beach Open. Now, I don't know why the Manhattan Beach Open is not in the AVP League. That is probably the cornerstone of AVP volleyball. But unfortunately, it's going to be in the Heritage Series. I think the Manhattan Beach Open is probably big time, and it should be a league, an AVP League game or AVP League tournament. And then August 30th through the through September 1st is the Chicago Open. Adam Karnick popping in the chat room and saying AVP. Yes, the AVP, and that's actually the la- the Chicago Open is actually the last match or the last tournament of the Heritage Series. Then the AVP League. It actually shifts between certain cities. So some of these cities will be repeats as the first AVP League tournament will be in Los Angeles from September 14th through 15th. Don't know which where the location will be, but it's in Los Angeles. Then September 21st through the 22nd, it's going to be in South Florida. Then September 28th through the 29th, it's going to head back to California and it's going to be in San Diego, which I think is going to be fun. And I don't know if they really had any AVP tournaments. And it looks like the AVP League is going to be a weekly thing, whereas the AVP Heritage Series had a bunch of gaps in it. Then October 5th through the 6th, the AVP League heads to Austin in Texas. And then they head, then on October 12th through the 13th, they head back to Florida in Palm Beach. And then October 19th through 20th, the AVP League heads back to San Diego. Then October 26th through the 27th, the AVP League will stay in California and head to Los Angeles. Then lastly, the AVP League will be heading down to the to back to Texas, and they'll be having the AVP League in Dallas on November, 12, November 2nd through the 3rd. And then the AVP League Championship will be in Los Angeles on November 9th through the 10th. Now, I kind of wish they... Where's, here's my my qualms with some of this whole AVP schedule. Where is the Hermosa Beach Open? There's no Laguna Beach Open. I kind of question the AVP for not having the Hermosa Beach Open and the Laguna Beach Open. Maybe it just d- didn't work with Laguna Beach and they want to have the, have the AVP tournament in San Diego because San Diego is a beautiful place and there are some good beaches around there to play like beach volleyball but they could have put the hermosa beach open there i think they also could have put the pisomo beach open so but 
I'm a little flabbergasted of, of, of not seeing Hermosa Beach. So, I don't know why the AVP did not have a Hermosa Beach open or a Laguna Beach open, but Laguna Beach open is one of the longer tenured tournaments in the AVP, so... But at the very least, they have a championship, so they can crown an actual AVP championship, whereas last season, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't, and it left a bunch of volleyball fans such as myself in the dark, and... From from what I heard from one of the players who was kind enough to tell me, I think it had to do with budget in terms of like having and and possibly not having a set location. So hoping for the sake of the AVP, we won't be able to have any problems or hiccups in regards to tournaments. I know there are a, there are a couple of AVP players playing in the Pro Volleyball Federation League, such as Sarah Sponsel and Carly Scott both of Grand Rapids Rise, which is actually a perfect segue to go into Pro Volleyball Federation week number three. And I, I guess week three continues to bleed into Monday, so it's going to have like the NFL format where the league, I guess, starts on Wednesday and then it'll end on, a certain week will end on like Tuesday. So the week three recap, the week started on Wednesday where the Las Vegas Thrill finally, finally, finally had their first match of the season. And they were actually able to pull off a huge win on the road. They beat the Omaha Supernovas 3-2 at the CH CHI Health Center in, in, in Nebraska, which is basically the home of Creighton. The Vegas Thrill won the match 19-25, 25-23, 25-20, 18-25, and 15-12. Here's some big takeaways from that. Las Vegas is hella scrappy and i will never use that word ever again but but the thrill trailed 17 12 in set three but they went on a 13 to 3 one to take that third set and in addition the thrill trailed 8 5 in set five and then used a 6 0 run to go up 11 8 and they never looked back as they wound up winning that fifth set and and they wound up winning in their inaugural match in the land of volleyball in nebraska Hannah Maddox led the thrill with 18 kill, 18 kills and 11 digs. Mohamed Cage had 14 kills. Sas- Saskia Hippie Hip had 11 kills and 10 digs. Kylie Murr had 28 digs. Alicia Glass Childress had 46 assists and 16 digs. Jess Shaben Landsman had 15 kills and 14 digs. Paige Briggs, in her first start with the Supernovas, had 14 kills and 19 digs. Betty De La Cruz had 13 digs. Sydney Hilly had 40 assists and 20 digs. Kendall White had 12 digs. So my takeaway for the thrill is this. For a team that was picked to finish dead last in the league, they actually proved really well against the team that was chosen to finish first in the Pro Volleyball Federation. And I gotta give a tip of the hat to, to the thrill on that one. I didn't think that the Supernovas were going to lose at home, but the thrill in their first match of the season, they came in cold turkey, but they wound up being really good. But it helps that they have some veteran players like Molly McCage, who played for Athletes Unlimited. That was That's big to have a player like that. And honestly, if they don't have her production, I don't know if the thrill win this match. But snatching the third set was so crucial against Omaha, because... When you're up 17-12, it looks like you're not going to be able to come back. But when you have a 13-3 run, that's when you know your team is pretty legit. And 
making that fifth set comeback was also pretty big as well. So not bad. Then we jump to Friday. Grand Rapids Rise took down the Atlanta Vibe in four sets at Gas South Arena. 25-20, 21-25, 25-22, and 25-22. This match actually was rather entertaining as it seemed like any both of those teams could have won the sets. But the Grand Rapids Rise rose to the occasion. They handed the Atlanta Vibe their first loss of the season. And how fitting they wound up winning on the road as Simone Abbott led the Rise with 16, kill, 16 kills. Claire Chausey and Emilia Dimitrova both had 12 kills. Chausey had 13 digs. Dimitrova had 12 digs. Sayer Sponsel had 19 digs. And Ashley Evans had 44 assists to go along with 8 digs. For the Vibe, Leah Edmond led the way with 18 kills and 13 digs. Lekator member Manet had 13 kills and 13 digs. Morgan Hentz had 19 digs. Grace Cleveland had 9 kills and 12 digs. Tori Dilfer-Stringer had 47 assists and 8 digs. So... If you're wondering where Allie Linehan is or Allie Stumler is, she actually was put on short-term IR as she suffered a foot injury in the Vibes in one of the Vibes win last week. I think it was against San Diego. But regardless, not having Allie Stumler or Allie Linehan, Stumler was her maiden name until she got married. But not having Allie Linehan is kind of big right there. You need to have her as healthy as possible. So for Atlanta, they really missed her. But Lekator member Monet is definitely stepping up. And my big thing is, do you keep Lekator member Monet in the starting lineup or do you shuffle her around with Allie Linehan? I think member Monet definitely deserves to be in the starting lineup. And then on Saturday, we had the Orlando Valkyries picking up their first win of the season. First win in terms of their program overall. Knocking off the Vegas Thrill at home in four sets. being Well, home being the Addition Financial Arena in Orlando. But 25-23, 25-10, 23-25, and 25-21 were the set scores. Jill Gillen, everyone's favorite volleyball player, led the Valkyries with 14 kills and 7 digs. Adora Ane had 13 kills and 12 digs. Casimir Brown had 10 kills. George Murphy had 17 digs. Wilma Rivera had 41 assists and 10 digs. For the thrill, Saskia Hippie led the way with 12 kills. Gabby Gonzalez had 11 kills and 14 digs. Hannah Maddox had 10 kills. Alicia Glass Childress had 36 assists and 14 digs. Kylie Murr had 12 digs. So the takeaway for Orlando is this. I think Orlando is much better than what what most people give them credit for. And honestly, I will say this about Orlando. I will not be surprised if they pull off an upset. They actually played Atlanta tonight, and we'll be going over that matchup blindly. Um, For the thrill, I will say this. One and one is not bad. For a team that was slated to finish last in the PVF, I thought this week was actually a success. Against Orlando on the road, it's tough. You you have to go from Omaha, Nebraska to Orlando, Florida, and you have to be projected to pick up both wins. Well, not projected, but you have the dishonor of trying to win both matches. And both those teams are stacked. And Jill Gillen just continues to get better and better for the Valkyries. So nothing to be ashamed of if you're the thrill. However... It could have been a whole lot better for them, but 
beating the Supernovas was huge. If they they needed to win that one to basically make a statement. So there you have it right there regarding that whole thing. In, ter- in terms of the past weekend's ma- past week matches, and Atlanta, and this is courtesy of Avid Volley. He's actually a good he she this person this per- Avid Vol at Avid Volley on X, formerly known as Twitter, is a good follow to have. He actually covers pro volleyball, or the the Avid Volley actually covers pro volleyball, and it's not just in North North America; it's actually all over the world. So. Avid Volley covers a lot more pro volleyball than I do. So if you're into that, definitely check out at Avid Volley. But per at Avid Volley, the Atlanta Vibe took down the Orlando Valkyries in five. Another five-set thriller as Leah Edmond led the way with 20 kills and four blocks. Lekator member Manet also had 20 kills. She had two aces and two blocks. Adora Ane led the Valkyries with 26 kills and three service aces. Jill Gillen had 17 kills and two blocks and an ace. So... I can't really put too many takeaways for that match, but I will say I'm not surprised that Orlando pushed Atlanta to the brink. Orlando is so much better than what they're projected to finish in. I think Orlando could possibly make that top four because only the top four make the PVF turn PVF play, playoffs. And also per at Avid Volley... Omaha, the Omaha Supernovas took down the Grand Rapids Rise in four sets, which is the first loss for Grand Rapids Rise. So, I, if I recall correctly, there are no more undefeated PVF teams. So, there you have it. No one's going undefeated as the Vibe has lost one, Grand Rapids Rise lost one, unfortunately Omaha lost has lost a couple. Sorry, Supernova fans. And then, and then the Columbus Fury lost in their season opener, which is a bummer. And then San Diego still has yet to pick up a win, which hopefully that changes soon. I'm so thinking of going to their match on the 23rd, but it's all the way in San Diego. But my boy Nick England's going to be there with the San Diego Wild, so... Decisions, decisions. Oh, and also the Valkyries, unfortunately, aren't undefeated. So no PVF team is going undefeated this year. I'm sorry to anyone that was hoping for that, but too bad. Anyway, so for the Supernovas, they were led by Brooke Nunaviller, who had 18 kills. Jess Landsman had 17 kills. Betty De La Cruz had 8 kills and 6 service aces. Oh, good God. Claire Chausset led the Rise with 19 kills. Simone Abbott had 15 kills. And Amelia Dimitrova had 16 kills. So... On, and the one of the sets that I saw before going live was Omaha winning the third set, thirty three thirty one. You know the running theme of this show: a team wins a big third set in overtime. And I, you're probably going to hear me say this once again: if Omaha doesn't win that third set, or if the Rise win that third set, then the Rise are feeling good going into set four. But honestly, this was at Grand Rapids Rise. This was in in Michigan. So I will say this, I'm not ultimately surprised that Grand Rapids lost, but they were the last undefeated team in the PVF, and again, Omaha is so stacked from top to bottom. There's a reason why they were chosen to finish first in the PVF preseason poll. So all in all, I think we're in for a very good ride when it comes to the PVF, as this is basically the whole any given week where any team can knock off any team. 
it doesn't matter how good or how bad you are or who your players are or how tall your players are. You could basically knock off any team on any given night at any place, any time, any day, anywhere. But, oh, anywhere, any place, that sounded redundant. But you get what I mean. All right, but that is that for this week in terms of the recap. I will just say it's a little inconvenient to having the PVF on a Monday because basically I have to choose between missing my show or missing that. And I really wish I could have given you all a better recap of the, those matches, but unfortunately when it comes when it came down to it, time just did not work in my favor. So heading over to week number, what are we in, week three? Yeah, week three. No, we're in week four. Sorry. Sorry, this is what happens when when these two Monday matches count as week three. Anyway, so Thursday, the Omaha Supernovas are back at it as they hit the road to Las Vegas or Sin City to take on the Vegas Thrill. So it's a rematch between those two teams as the Thrill took down the Supernovas in five sets this past Wednesday. But the Vegas Thrill have the honor of facing the Supernovas at the Dollar Loan Center. I'm going to guess that is at the University of UNLV. But or when or the place where UNLV plays their matches, in terms of women's volleyball. But the Vegas Thrill, it's going to be tough to beat a team in the span of eight, the same team in the span of eight weeks or eight days. So I will just say, Vegas might have their work cut out for them, but they do get to host their first ever home match. Let's see if the Vegas Thrill can do the unthinkable and beat the Omaha Supernovas again. And then on Friday. Finally, this team gets to play again. The Columbus Fury hits the road to Orlando to take, or to Addition Financial Arena to take on the Orlando Valkyries. All right, it's been a while since the Columbus Fury has played a match. I want to say it's it's been three weeks. That's a lot of rust, if you ask me. But hopefully, Columbus will have Asia O'Neill healthy. They'll have, I think her name is Jenna Rosenthal. Jenna Rosenthal healthy. Hopefully they'll have most of their players healthy just because they did not have a majority of those players in the match against Grand Rapids Rise. For the Valkyries, well, they have a match under their belt this week. Technically this week in of the calendar year. But I would not be surprised if the Fury had a little the, the Fury had a little bit of a rust hangover. I mean, unless they get their entire roster back. Maybe I, I could see the Valkyries winning, but we'll see what happens. I'm not trying to say Columbus is going to lose, but it's going to be tough coming off of a three-week layoff as it, it, it'll have been 22 days since they last played a match against someone not themselves. But you never know. I mean, again, this is the whole any given week thing. And then on Sunday, we have a doubleheader. Oh, a doubleheader. So the doubleheader starts with the Atlanta Vibe taking on Grand Rapids Rise at Vandell Arena in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So this one's going to be a fun one, as it's basically round two between these two teams, as, again, nine days ago, prior to that match, the Grand Rapids Rise defeated the Atlanta Vibe, which was probably, which is big, but now Grand Rapids Rise has to defend their home court. Now, I don't expect... I don't know if this one could go either way. I think Atlanta could win this one, but Grand Rapids Rise with Claire Chausey, 
she could obviously take over a match. As well, and Lekator member Monet has really stepped up for the vibe. But you also have to look at Sarah Sponsel, who tra- has transitioned from beach volleyball over to indoor volleyball. And sh- that transition is really lo- looking well. And by the way, I think Carly Scott and Sarah Sponsel will start- still partake in the AVP. Because I think the the uh, PVF is going to be ending before the AVP season starts. But for Grand Rapids Rise in Atlanta Vibe, this one could go either way. And honestly... I, don't, I, I can't predict a clear-cut winner. And then also on Sunday, we have the Orlando Valkyries hitting the road to the land of volleyball, Nebraska, to take on the Omaha Supernovas. All right, this is going to be a fun one right here. I think Orlando can win this one, but they have they ha- they play Omaha. They play they're playing at Omaha, and it's it's going to be a tricky one. Omaha has proven that they can win on the road. They just took down the Rise in four sets tonight. So, at this point, again, this is another one of those very tough, close matches to to predict. But I will also just say, I think we could be in for a five-setter. At least four sets. But if I had to pick, I'd probably pick the Supernovas. But you can't go wrong with picking the Valkyries. And then on Monday, we have the San Diego Mojo hitting the road to Sin City to take on the Las Vegas Thrill at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, which would be... Which would be 4 p.m. my time. Alright, so this matchup. This is going to be an interesting match. I feel the Mojo should be better than they were in their opening week. But the Thrill will have a bunch of matches under their belts going into this match. So, I would definitely pick the Thrill to to win this one. But you never want to underestimate the Mojo. It looks like the San Diego Mojo have a lot of Oregon players as... Some PVF, one of the PVF broadcasters did get backlash for commenting about Oregon and and whatnot negatively. So, the moral of the story: watch what you say over the air, because you could receive a lot of backlash. But anyway, Mojo versus Thrill. I think this is going to be an interesting matchup. I think the Thrill is going to win this one, but again, don't underestimate the Mojo. Especially since they they just can't afford to look ahead. If they look ahead to their home opener against Grand Rapids Rise, they are for sure losing against the Thrill. But I will say, I think we're in for a fun matchup between those two. I think either of those teams can win. And I know that sounds redundant, but I just think that the Thrill is a much better team than they were given credit for. Just because they were chosen to finish last. That's not really fair. And... After these first few weeks of the PVF, I think it's any given week that any of these teams can beat any of these teams. So we'll see what happens. All right, but that is that for the PVF portion of the show. Now let's preview week seven of the NCAA men's volleyball season. And then I'll let y'all go. I won't be talking some 3C2A men's volleyball just because, well, we're already almost 90 minutes into this thing. But I will go to a couple of 3C2A men's volleyball matches this week, so there you have it. All right, but NCAA men's volleyball week number seven. It, uh, the action starts on Wednesday when number 10 Loyola hits the road to Romeoville to take on number 13 Lewis in the Battle of Illinois. All right, this is where all records and everything goes out the window. This is a rivalry match right here. All bets are off when it comes to Loyola versus Lewis, and honestly, I think 
either of these teams can win. I think Loyola Loyola can definitely knock off Lewis convincingly, but Lewis is so much better than what people have given credit for. They've pushed a lot of good teams to the brink, and heck, they even beat BYU. So we'll see what happens when it comes to the Flyers and the Ramblers. But honestly, if I had to pick, I'd say Loyola just because they are battle-tested. I don't want to... I'm not trying to discredit Lewis, but I feel Loyola is more battle-tested having taken on a bunch of ranked teams. And this is going to really impact the MIVA standings just because... Both these teams have one loss, and something's got to give here. Also on Wednesday, MPSF play kicks off. Yes, we're now getting into the meat and potatoes of conference play in NCAA men's volleyball, or National Collegiate men's volleyball, as number 10 Pepperdine hits the road to Westwood to take on number 4 UCLA. These two teams will be facing each other on Saturday in Malibu, but Pepperdine had a great week. I should also mention the MPSF had probably one of the best Saturdays that they've had, or one of the best days this NCAA men's volleyball season, as the the entirety of the MPSF went undefeated on Saturday. They went 5-0 and with Concordia Irvine beating the Masters, Pepperdine sweeping UC Santa Barbara, BYU sweeping LIU, USC picking up their t- first top 10 win of the season and taking down UC Irvine, and then UCLA beating Long Beach State. Yes, I'm referring to that one day, not the entire week, not yesterday, not the day after. So please don't get frustrated with me, every other fan. But the NPSF had a pretty good week on, or pretty good day on Saturday. So for this matchup, look, this is going to be the whole Cole Kachansky match. I feel Cole Kachansky can go off against his former team, but UCLA has a lot of momentum winning against Long Beach State. I would not be surprised if UCLA won both these matches, but Pepperdine can hang with the best. And remember, this is a UCLA team, UCLA team that's kind of been a little up and down when it comes to five-set matches. So that's the thing that UCLA needs to avoid. They have to avoid a ma- the match going to five. Otherwise, if it goes five, then all bets are off and anything can happen with the Bruins and the Waves. Then we have a little sneaky good matchup right here. Purdue-Fort Wayne at number 14, Ball State. So this is an in-state rivalry match, kind of like Loyola and Lewis. All bets are off when it comes to in-state rivalry matches. And honestly, don't be surprised if Purdue-Fort Wayne makes Ball State sweat. But I will say Ball State, they got to win this one. They need to get back on track in the MIVA because that race is getting so much more interesting by the day. And I know they have, I think they're 2-1 and one, if I recall, but... Yeah, they're 2-1 and because they lost to McKendry, they beat Loyola, and they outlasted Lindenwood. But but here's the thing. The MIVA gets tougher and tougher, and Ball State cannot have Tanashi and Davazocheva having a dud night against McKendry. And they can't afford to go 5 because even though Ball State is hosting, I think Purdue-Fort Wayne can definitely try to have a bounce-back game just because losing to Queens obviously leaves a, leaves a bad taste in their mouth. But time will tell regarding this matchup. I think this is a sneaky good matchup. If Purdue-Fort Wayne was ranked, I think this would have definitely been a matchup to definitely watch for. But this is a sneaky good matchup just because it's a rivalry match, in-state rivalry match. And I want to see how Purdue-Fort Wayne bounces back after going 1-2 and two last week. Then Friday and Saturday, it's a stacked week. 
It's a, it's a stacked weekend. So Friday, we have another sneaky good matchup. Number 17, George Mason at NJIT. Look, NJIT, someone told me that NJIT is actually having some good weeks. But here's the thing. NJIT hasn't really picked up a ranked win. This would be so huge for NJIT for them to win. And they did come off of a loss to Sacred Heart. But if NJIT starts EIVA play 1-0, this could be big for them. And they have that jersey grit. I think that NJIT is definitely a good team. So... For George Mason, it's just all about them proving the co- the preseason poll correct because they did get a first place vote. However, they were chosen to finish third in the EIVA. So I'm going to be interested to see how George Mason fares against the Highlanders of NJIT. And speaking of EIVA play, perfect segue to go in this next matchup. Number nine, Penn State at number 15, Princeton. This unfortunately went from probably the most interesting match to probably Princeton finding a way to bounce back. As, again, Princeton had such an awful week. I don't know what the stats is regarding Henry Wedbush, but Princeton needs a big bounce back win. Penn State hasn't been the world beaters that they are, but they certainly aren't the rebuilding team that they think they that most people think they are. They have a lot of senior leadership, and one thing to watch for is the setter. Who's going to be starting setter? Will it be Luke Snyder or will it be Michael Schwobe? That's going to be something I ask regarding the pregame press conference for Penn State tomorrow. And hopefully I'm not too late as of this recording. Like I said, the two teams will be meeting on Friday and on Saturday. It's going to be a fun matchup. Speaking of fun matchups, we got the match and series of the week. Number two Grand Canyon at number six BYU. The two teams are also playing on Saturday in addition to Friday all right, Grand Canyon, you gotta prove you gotta prove it to me. You gotta prove that you deserve to be number one. If Grand Canyon wins both these matches, they deserve to be number one in the nation. I don't care what happens with Long Beach. I don't care what happens with Hawaii. All that matters is Grand Canyon needs to go two and zero. If they go two and zero, I put them at number one. If they go one and one, they're probably staying pat at number two. And if they go zero and two, then they're probably dropping like a rock. For BYU. This is their chance to open up the conference maybe 1-1, one and one, if not 2-0. and Because BYU is one of the toughest places to win at. Grand Canyon has not been battle-tested. If there's ever a week for BYU to basically make a statement, it is this week against the number two team in the nation. And probably one of the only few, if not the only, undefeated team in National Collegiate Men's Volleyball. So BYU, there's not a whole lot of pressure on them except for the fact that they could go 0-2, but salvaging at least one win would be perfect for the Cougars. Then another little fun matchup right here on Friday and on Saturday. Number 7, UC Irvine at number 5, Stanford. All right, I don't know what problem UC Irvine has. Maybe it was just David Niffin shuffling his lineup with putting Joe Carlos in as opposed and keeping him in it as opposed to Brett Sheward starting the entire match and finishing the entire match. But I will just say, UC Irvine's got to figure this out sooner rather than later. I know they don't start conference play for another two weeks, but with how the conference has looked in terms of the Big West, I think there's not going to be an easy match. And then for Stanford, they got to get Will Rotman back whenever he can. And if they get him back this week, that's a huge bonus for them. But... If they don't have him back, then they're gonna have. Uh, they have to have someone else step up. Whether it's Kevin Lamp, 
Teo Snooey, with Alex Rotman, Nathan Gates, or Nathaniel Gates, they have to have someone stepping up regarding Will Rotman being out. But if Will Rotman is back at least close to 100%, then honestly, Stanford definitely has a fighting chance to at least pull off one win against the Anteaters. And then closing off the matches to watch for, we have number 14, Ball State, at number 10, Loyola. Alright, this is going to be a fun one. Loyola beat Ball State, or I'm sorry, Ball State beat Loyola in the first match at in Muncie. This time, it's round two, and we'll see what happens. I really think Loyola can win this one, but Ball State has proven... They're such an interesting team. They One week, they look like they could contend with the top ten, or they're close to being top ten, and then the next week, they don't belong in the top ten entirely. For Ball State... And Loyola, this is a huge match. This is a huge week for both these teams as they've got their rivals earlier in the week and then they face one another on Saturday. And Ball State has been definitely playing a lot of tough matches. Same with Loyola in terms of the MIVA. And this is definitely going to be make or break in terms of the standings. Remember, the Cardinals have a win over the Ramblers in MIVA play. But now, let's see what happens with the Ramblers and Cardinals round two. Going to be in Chicago, Illinois, so it's going to be a fun one. And that is pretty much going to do it for all of the NCAA men's volleyball matches to watch for in week number seven. I don't think I left out too many as... Yeah, yeah, I think uh, Long Long Beach State hosts the SIAC teams, which... If you're wondering why, well, UC San Diego also plays the SIAC teams in Edward Waters and Central State, but if you're wondering why Long Beach State is playing those two teams as opposed to, like, maybe some other teams, it's because one of the teams from the SIAC is going to be heading to the NCAA tournament. And no, I don't think an, an, a, another SIAC team is going to be making it as an at-large, but time will tell. I'm not trying to to take a poo-poo on the SIAC teams, but I just think it's a new conference in the automatic qualifier category. It's a fairly new conference altogether, as this is only, I want to say it's like the second season that they've had a conference, and maybe the second season they've had a conference tournament. But against the number one team in the nation, they're going to have to play some darn good volleyball. But that's going to do it for all of the NCAA men's volleyball matches to watch for in Week 7. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Set Point. One thing to note for this week, I, like I said, in addition, uh, well, like I said, I'm going to be at the 3C2A men's volleyball matches. I'm going to be at Long Beach City and Santa Monica when Orange Coast College plays those two teams at those locations. And keep an eye out for Set Point Extra Points. I will be having a guest, most likely. So definitely keep an eye on that. But... With all that being said, it's time to drop the beat because I'm about to dip like a banana in chocolate. You feel me? Thank you, thank you, thank you everyone for tuning in to Set Point. I really do appreciate everybody tuning in. If you listen live, I appreciate you. If you listen on the playback, I appreciate you. If you listen at work, I appreciate you. If you listen at any time, any place, anywhere, I definitely appreciate you. Shout out to the chat room, Adam Karnick, Jen B, Patty Bax, Ralph Cleese, Mike Pat, and Larry B for popping in. I really do appreciate it. Jen B also said, I love the team names they come up they came up with the with for the Pro Volleyball Federation. I do too. I should be back next Monday 
four set points. Um, SoCal might not happen on Friday. It might happen either on Thursday or on Saturday. Keep a sharp lookout for that. Until then, have a great rest of the week. Enjoy the volleyball action. And I will see you Friday for the SoCal Supreme Sports Show. Or Thursday or Saturday. Peace!